This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. You guys, well, thank, was that you, Maria? Thank you. That's my wife, everybody. She's pretty excited. Hot tamales. You got me all thrown off. That never happens. I'm going to get you back today or tomorrow. I got the mic. Uh, hey, welcome to church. It's so good to be with so many of you today. I've been uh, off of the stage for the last month. I took a space from communicating so that I could do two things. One, pray, dream, read, think about our teaching for the rest of the year and into 2018. And then two, get a little bit of vacation with my family, and both went very well. So thank you for the space, and thank you to our team. But don't we have a great pastoral team here who's been leading so well over this last month? And Pastor Ron killed it. He really did. He did a great job. If you missed last the last month, Pastor Ron did a great job communicating. Uh, and now Pastor Ron is up in Oregon uh, officiating a wedding, and so he's gone today. So he won't even hear this, but you should still cheer for him uh, any chance you get, because I'm a big fan of that guy. Hey, when you came in, you should have received a program. Uh, and inside the program, you're going to want to grab two things. One is going to be the Start Here card. This is your all-access pass to this church community. So we can pray for you, partner with you, serve you, get you plugged into serving and engaging in the church, in these cities that we love so deeply and around the world. So go ahead and fill this out and at the end of our time together, we'll pass some baskets, and I'll ask if we've earned your trust, if you would just turn this in so that we can serve you in any way that you would want. So go ahead and get that filled out. The other thing you're going to want are our teaching notes. I've got a huge, huge story we're going to be looking at today, uh, and I put the whole thing on there because I think you're going to want it to refer to throughout this week. So go ahead and grab that, and I'll just warn you right now, uh, I pulled one of these pastor privilege cards this week. So I invited our team to make the teaching notes. They did it at the right spot, and then I decided last minute I'm changing the name of the teaching series after they had created their notes. And so uh, I think you're here. That's my fault. That's my fault, not yours. I changed the name of the series. We're starting a brand new series today, and here's why I changed the name of our series. Because I started dreaming about this uh, message series that will take us for the next seven weeks in the context of the things that we do. And partway through this dreaming and praying process, last minute, I would say, God said to me, or I sense God kind of prompting, this isn't actually about what we do. This is actually about who we are. And everything that we do flows out of who we are. And so I changed the name of the series to Let Us, which comes from a little line in the very beginning of your Bible that we're going to look at today, where God says, let us do something. And that thing that God invites us to is who we are. And who we are affects everything we do from there. But this series is all about work and rest. It seems like now's a good time to start talking about work and rest. When you think work, what comes to your mind? I just want you to, to kind of put something in there. What is work for you? You might say, my kids, or my marriage. Um, most of us would say that thing I go to Monday through Friday, that is work, 8.30 to 5. My job, my vocation is my work. If you're a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom, it's more like six o'clock to nine o'clock, seven days a week, and then you do all the other stuff afterwards. But 
But when you think about work, I just want you to have a picture in your mind because 70% of Americans, 70%, that's almost three quarters of us would say that we are unengaged or actively disengaged with work. Meaning we don't like it very much. So think about that. 70% of Americans don't like what they spend the majority of their day doing. 70% of Americans are unengaged or disengaged, are working for the weekend, are working for retirement. And then I was thinking about rest. When you think about rest, what comes to your mind? For most of us, it's sleep. Well, here's something interesting. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, says that preteens, little kids, need 10 or more hours of sleep every night. Say that teens need 9 to 10 hours of sleep every night, and adults, to function well, need 7 to 8 hours of sleep every single night. Here's where it gets interesting. 69% of teens, again, that's almost three quarters, get less than 8 hours of sleep a night, even though they need 9 to 10. 70% of adults, that's us, get less than six hours of sleep a night. And we need seven to eight. So this is what I've been thinking. Most of us don't like what we do when we're awake, and we aren't getting enough of what we need when we're asleep. And we wonder why we feel tired and frustrated and in a rut. And it seems to me it's time for us to have a conversation about work and about rest and about God's vision for it, zooming way out. Because again, work and rest are not, are not confined to, and we're going to talk about this, not confined to our vocation, our job, what we do, and confined to sleep. Work, as we'll see in the next few weeks, is about unfolding and unpacking the creative process of this world. And rest, while Sleep is part of it. Rest is about delighting in the things that God has created in this world. So what I want to do for these next seven weeks is just zoom out and ask some big questions about what does it actually mean for us to reframe the way we think about work and reframe the way that we go about rest And this idea was spurred from a book that I read called Garden City, which is where we initially got the title for this series. And this book is really, really good, but I'll just warn you, if you want to read it, go for it. It's kind of heady, it's kind of long, and it kind of drags. That's a good selling point. But the stuff in there is really good. So you decide. But what I did was I read this book, took notes on it, thought and prayed, and then I tried to bring it down into seven weeks so that you could take a bite-sized chunk out of it. Because if the truth is that we are overworked and underrested, you don't have a lot of time to read a heavy, kind of draggy book. So I'm going to help you with that until you get that work-rest thing into alignment. So I was thinking to myself, how should we start this series? Well, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. So we're going to, right? It, it, it is. And it's awesome. So we're going to start in the book of Genesis, my favorite book in the entire Bible. The word Genesis means beginnings. The author of this book, if you're brand new to church, is most likely a guy named Moses. And he was writing this book to the nation of Israel, this this nation of people who had just spent 400 years in slavery under Egypt. And he's writing this book because when the Israelites, who had believed in this God going into Egypt— 
After they spent 400 years in Egypt, they had been indoctrinated to Egyptian gods and goddesses. And in Egypt, there were over 112 major gods. And there were over 2,000 minor gods. And so Moses endeavors to write this book of Genesis, this book of beginnings, to paint the picture about what he calls the OG, the original God. Not to be confused with these lesser, lowercase gods. We'd call them idols today. The Egyptians called them gods and goddesses. So he says, let me tell you what the OG is really like. And he starts at the beginning. He says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that phrase, heavens and earth, is just a Hebrew idiom. It's like saying from top to bottom. It's like if you said, we redid our house, and I said, well, which room did you do? You said, we redid the house from top to bottom. What would you be saying? We redid everything. In the beginning, God created the world from top to bottom. Now, I want to say this. We're not going to spend our time this morning discussing and talking about whether or not God created the world in seven literal days or whether it was an extended period of time. For the sake of today's conversation, I'm okay. And if you want to write an angry letter about what I'm about to say, uh, I'm going to mix it up. Send it to Elise at newlifepetaluma.org today because poor Justin gets all the hate mail. Here's what I'm going to say. For the sake of today's conversation, I'm okay with you holding... Whichever view you hold about origins, about creation, old earth, new earth, literal seven day, more of a story about how things came to be. Here's the thing. If you want to know more information about that, our, our student pastor, Jake, who's going to be up here a little bit later this morning, he did a great two-week series on various views of that, and you can find it on our website. So we're not getting into that today. What I want to do today is I want to zoom out And ask this question, what is this God like? Because that's what Moses is at his core trying to help us understand. What is this creative God really like? And what does what God says about us really mean? So in the beginning, God created the earth from top to bottom. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What a great way to start a story. That word formless and empty in the original language is poetic. It rhymes. It's really fun. It it says, the phrase is tohu wabohu, which sounds like some sort of planet from Star Wars, doesn't it? I think the Wookiees lived there on tohu. It really does. Don't correct me. I I know where the Wookiees lived, okay? I have two children. Rogue One is actually on Netflix right now. You're welcome. Well, PSA. Um, but the phrase is tohu wabohu, formless and void. And there's all sorts of discussion about what this phrase actually means. But most people who study the Old Testament think that this means barren and uninhabited. When you picture the earth in its origins, think alien planet, barren and uninhabited. And God's spirit is hovering over this barren Earth, And then God rolls up God's proverbial sleeves. And I want you to notice what God does. And this is where we're going to get into a big chunk of this passage. And because I know you don't want to hear me just read because it gets monotonous, I've actually invited our executive pastor, Angela, to come up and join me. And we're going to go back and forth paragraph to paragraph. So would you join me in welcoming Angela to the stage?
there you go. Good morning. I'll try not to cut in too much. You said paragraph by paragraph, but in our notes there are no paragraphs. You, we have paragraphs, you and I. Okay. So <laughs> they're just, it's going to be like, whoa. Okay. Because in the original, there was no paragraph, and there was no, uh, there was no period or comma. Notes, it's true. Original manuscript. Oh, all right. So you're welcome. We're just taking it back. Talking about the OG. I'll go first, starting in verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. And here's what I want you to do. Remember, we're zooming out and asking, what is God like? So every time you see something is good, circle it or underline it or put a little emoticon next to it. I want you to notice what God thinks is good. So God said, let there be light, and saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day. Take it away. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and he gathered the waters that he called the seas. And God saw that it was, there it is again, that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Verse 14 says, and God said, let there be light in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs and mark sacred times and days and years. And let them, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser to govern the night. He also made stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give them light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on that fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly across the earth, the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase the number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. This is the part right there, where those of you who are campers, tent campers, look down on the glampers, the trailer campers, because you like the creepy crawling things and the glampers don't, and that's okay, because God said it was good. Verse 24, and God said, let the land, I'm sorry, I had to say it, let the land produce, it. the land produce what? You're a glamper. I'm a glamper who loves the camping though. I'm a camper inside and a glamper on the outside, Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm, a, I'm a bearded man on the inside, even though I'm a smooth-faced man on the outside right now. It's just the way that I am. It's this internal tension, day, night, light, dark, beard, no beard. That's the way that it goes. You're not helping with our time. Verse 24, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals according to their kinds, and it was so, and God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that moved along the ground according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. It's all good. 
It's all G-O-O-D good. Thank you, Angela, for joining me. So at first glimpse, what do we see our God being like? That's the question we're trying to ask here. What is God like? Well, God is a creator. Did you catch that? He took formless and void and he created order out of chaos, something out of nothing. God is an artist who paints the sky with his works. God is an imaginative who dreams up creepy, crawly things. Our God is a horticulturalist. Our God is an ecologist. Our God is a builder. Our God is an engineer. Here's what I put in my notes. God, by God's very nature, is a God who loves, who loves to create beauty out of barrenness, who loves to create order out of chaos, who looks at this world and makes something that he says is is good. Now, here's something interesting, and if you uh, took freshman English or freshman lit in college, you probably know this. Genesis is not the only creation story in the ancient world. In fact, there were multiple creation stories, and when I first heard this in college, it made me question the reliability of the Bible. Oh my gosh, there are other stories that other ancient cultures had about creation. But as I studied these other ancient creation stories, I realized that they are all in one category— And the story of God in the Bible is in a category all its own. And that actually makes me trust the Bible even more. I want to look at the most famous creation story. It's a story called the Enuma Elish, which is a Babylonian creation story. And here's the scene for this story. In this story, there's a head god. His name is Marduk. And there are lower gods below him. And the lower gods come to Marduk and they complain to him, We're so tired of working. We hate working. All the work we have to do in this world is so tedious and hard. We want to get out of it. They're like 70% of Americans. And Marduk says to them, I've got a great plan. My plan will get you out of work. And my plan is called humanity. Here's what Marduk actually says in the creation story. He says, I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name, and he shall be charged with the service of the gods, so that the gods will be at ease. Because the gods looked at their work, and they hated their toil, and they hated their work. So they created man to do the work of the gods, to be the slaves of the gods. Now, read over and against the creation story In Genesis, we find a God who is not outsourcing work because he hates it. We find a God who is inviting partnership with the people who he loves. This is what it says in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Why? So that they may be servants and slaves. No, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock, and all the wild animals, and all of the creatures that move along the ground. God says, let us. And the interesting thing, if you're brand new to Christianity, about God is God is one, but God often refers to God's self in three distinct persons. 
as a community, one God in community. And we aren't going to press into that right now, but Pastor Ron did a great teaching about that. We call it the Trinity, that God is Father, God is Son in Jesus, and God is Holy Spirit. Again, this is not the time for that, but this is the first time we see that God referred to God's self as a living community. Let us create man in our image. And then God does something really interesting in verse 27. We see the same thing three times. And anytime the authors tell us the same thing three times, they say, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What is he trying to tell us? That we are image bearers of God. That in our personhood, in our creation, we were made in God's image. And God blessed the people. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number Nope. Um, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature on the ground. And then God said to the people, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the whole face of the earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it, they will be yours. And to all the beasts of the earth and the wild birds of the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath and lives in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was... So God saw what he had made and it was, and this is really interesting, it was very good because when God made people, he made them above all the other things. So everything else was good and God made people and they were very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. See, rather than creating cheap slave labor, which is what the other creation stories talk about, you and I are just slave labor. It makes sense that we would hate our jobs because we're simply slaves to this world. Slaves to our job, slaves to our boss, slaves to our kids, slaves to the school system. Rather than the other story where you and I find ourselves as servants and slaves, we find in Genesis a God who loves to create, who finds great joy in the creative process, who delights in his work, who looks at what he has done and says, it is good, who loves to create beauty out of pain, create order out of chaos, create something out of nothing. And then we see a God who creates humanity and invites us into partnership with him. He says, I want you to be my partners in this creative process. What I want to do today, we're going to spend a few weeks talking about what it looks like to be partners in the creative process. But today I want to talk about that, that one phrase, let us make man in our image. That word image literally means idol. We see it in other spots in the Bible where we see that there are idols that are worshipped. It means idol or it means statue. Let's go back to Egypt for just a minute. And if you like history, you're loving today. If you just want practical, tell me how to do it, you're going to love next week. But I super nerd out about Genesis. I really do. This is like, this is my book, man. This is my bread and butter. Give me Genesis. I love the story. So we're nerding out today. You're welcome for those of you who love this kind of stuff. Back to Egypt. 112 gods, 2,000 little gods. Every god that had a temple had an image in the temple, had an idol or a statue. And the role of the idol and the statue was that when the worshiper walked into the temple, they could see what that God was like. Now zoom out a little bit. Moses is telling us that this God, the OG, the creator God, is not confined to a temple. 
is not confined to a church building. That this God actually has leadership and rule over the whole world. That God's presence hovers over the whole world. And what does God do? He creates man in his image. He created you and I to be his statue. The idol. The visible picture of the invisible God. Is that freaking anybody else out right now? Or just me? Think about the implications of that. You walk into an idol in Egypt and you see a bird or a half man or a half woman. You think, oh, that's what that God is like. You walk into the world and you look at Jesus' followers and you're supposed to be able to say, so that's what God is like. You walk into the workplace and find a few Jesus followers in the workplace working differently than everybody else. And this is where you say, so that's what God is like. Do you see the implications of this? Stare blankly at me if you do. (laughs) Good. Okay, good. You do. I'm, I'm expecting like an, oh my gosh, an audible gasp from you. This is huge. Because we look at work and we think it's this thing that I have to do from nine to five. And God looks at work and he says, I want you to join me in this creative process. Parenting. Parenting is not simply about raising children who will not be convicted of a felony. (laughs) Set that goal. It's a good goal. But it's not our primary goal. What is parenting about? Parenting is about unfolding this beautiful image bearer. Helping them figure out who they are in Christ. Helping them learn what their identity is. I had this, oh shoot. Oh, hot tamale is getting late. All right. (laughs) Quickly, had a conversation with my eight-year-old. She made a mistake. She's feeling all this horrible shame about it. Like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I said to her, why are you so upset? We all make mistakes. She said, because when I make a mistake, people laugh at me or they look at me. And I said, honey. I make mistakes all the time. She said, no, you don't, Dad. I said, oh, yes, I do. All the time. I said, but here's the thing. When I make a mistake, I realize that I'm not judged ultimately by my mistakes or my successes. That I know who I am. I'm God's son made in God's image. So when I make a mistake, it doesn't make me worse. And when I do things good, it doesn't make me better. Otherwise, I'd be feeling great at the end of this sermon because I'm killing it right now. (laughs) In my humble but correct opinion. Okay. And I said to her, honey, you are an image bearer of God. So parenting is not just about helping him not get a felony. Parenting is about unfolding. Work is not just about punching a time clock. Work is about going into our place of employee and engaging with God in a creative process. We're going to talk more about that next week. But for now, we need to stop here. We need to stop here. You can say it like this. We were made in God's image to show the world what God is like. That's our primary job description, or job title, excuse me. Our primary job title. You could be a CEO, you could be a stay-at-home dad, You could be a mid-level manager or a student. And those are lesser job titles. But our primary job title is image bearer of God. 
And it does not change based on which company we work for. And as image bearers of God, our job is to show the world what God is ultimately like. Next week, next week we're going to talk about the place where the man and woman were called to work. It was called Eden. And Eden means delight, which means that they went to work every day in a place called delight. How many of us would say, I go to work every day in a place called delight? My staff better say amen. (laughs) I wonder, I wonder if we understood what work was supposed to be, and we're going to talk about this next week, if work might become a place of delight for you as opposed to a place of dread. Let's end with this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that God had been doing. So on the seventh day, God rested from God's work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God rested from work that he had done on that seventh day. Rest does not mean God got tired. Rest has the idea of delight. That God celebrated what God had done. He sat back and he celebrated. We're going to spend three weeks talking about rest because, listen, rest is not confined to sleep. And most of us aren't getting that right. But rest is so much bigger. Rest is about delight in the things that God has done. Rest is about fighting against the man who tells us that rest is weakness and sleep is for the weak. And that taking a day off means you're going to be a day behind. Rest is about fighting that story and bringing about a more beautiful story where God is actually in control. The way that we rest, as much as the way that we work, shows the world what God is like. A few questions as we wrap up. One, are you ready to embrace your true identity as an image bearer of God? Are you ready? Image of God is, is this phrase, Salem Elohim, image of God. And it was, it was actually used by the Egyptians. If we go back to Egypt, the pharaohs would say that they were the image of God. Royalty passed down this stay, saying, this title, this image of God for their idols that they worshipped, their lowercase g gods. The capital G God says, you are made in my image, And we celebrate a communion that Jesus actually came to us. God in the flesh. And he said, are you ready to recapture your true image-bearing identity? To be adopted back into God's family as God's daughter or God's son? Are you ready to experience the forgiveness that your father offers? Are you ready to take on that job title? Are you ready to be royalty in God's family? And so I wonder, are are you ready today to take on that image-bearing identity? For some of us here, you might not consider yourself a Christ follower, a Christian. That means you've never embraced this identity. I want to invite you Take this journey with us. Explore the implications of what it means to be God's child, to be in God's family, to be an image bearer in the world. In the process, open yourself up to the possibility that God might actually be talking to you. 
for the rest of us. Come back next week. Because I really think there's something in this idea of delight. Next week we talk not just about our job title. Next week we talk about job description. What, is, what does it look like for every image bearer, every Christ follower, to go into work with a unique job description that does not change based on your job? Now, it might play out in different ways, but we have a job description given to us in Genesis from God. And we're going to unpack that a little bit next week. And I'm hoping that as we understand our job description, your work might become a little more a place called delight. You might find more delight in your work. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite Jake to come join us on stage. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, I have two, two big requests on behalf of our community. One, would you show us what it looks like to zoom out and view work and rest the way that you created and intentioned for them to be? Would you use this series as an opportunity to dream and explore? Would you give us courage to quite possibly change the way that we have gone about vocation, that we've gone about work? The second thing I'm asking God is if I have some friends here today who are not yet followers of you, Holy Spirit, would you be moving right now? Would you be revealing yourself to them? And would you be showing my friends that they can trust you, that they were created by you, not as cheap slave labor, but they were created by you to be your daughter, to be your son, to walk in the fullness of relationship with you. Friend, if that's you, would you open yourself up to God and invite God to partner with you on this journey? Would you say to God, God, I want to walk in relationship with you. I want to know you and experience your forgiveness and your partnership and your leadership. And God will meet you in that place. Ah, God, it's good to be back with my friends. Would you help us to continue to learn how to be a unique gathering of people who loves deeply and fully, authentically and vulnerably? Would you show us what it looks like to be image bearers in our communities? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.